0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. This is episode 59 of the live show over on YouTube. Me and Dan talked about my recent hunt down in Florida for hogs with Clay Hayes. Um, You've probably seen Clay on this show this summer. Um, Clay was the winner of season 8 of Alone. Had a good time down there with him and his family. We made a little family vacation out of it, a little camping trip slash hog hunt slash Canoe in the River and whatever else we we got into while we were down there. No ad reads for this episode. Just go over to the YouTube channel and give us a subscribe. Make sure you write a review on whatever platform you're listening to this show on. That would help us out greatly, everybody. Um, Also, if you guys need any merch or anything, I do have my store link down in the description of this episode. Makes it real easy for, for folks to... To order stuff off of teespring um, thanks for all the support as always now let's get right into the episode oh hey everybody hey everybody welcome to the show people were getting nervous that we weren't gonna do one this week dan i what? had some uh, i had some messages and comments on other videos about why we why we're quitting <laughs> Oh nope, just uh we me and the family went on a little mini vacation slash hog hunt and got back uh not in time to do a show on Thursday night. So we're doing one tonight. So a nice little start of your weekend show. Well oh, you've been up to day in this week. I haven't talked to you.
1: Mm, not a lot. A lot of work. Did
0: you get out and do any scouting? Not a, little a little bit. I uh well I was with Clay. Hayes in Florida for a few days. He came and like just camped with us for a few days and showed me around hog hunting and uh, he kind of got me inspired. I I went out and cut some hickory a hickory tree um, and made some staves for making hickory longbows. Nice. Yep. He had a hickory longbow that was real cool looking and I'm like I, I know I got hickory trees in my backyard, so cut a little one down for building bows. I've been working on that a little bit instead of being out it's been raining all day here so i didn't go scouting or anything just tinkered around with that stuff but anyway you've been how you're talking about bows earlier before we got on have you been tink- tinkering with bows yet or have you uh thought about messing with that
1: uh, i had uh just got two new bows mm-hmm. i got uh two new bows from prime um i wanted uh um a backup in case uh I drop one out of a tree, run over it with a truck. All that crazy stuff I do to bows every year. So then I Mm -hmm. can, while I'm getting one repaired, I have another one. So I got two um, prime bows that are identical. Nice.
0: That way when you throw one out of a tree or step on it or something, it'll... (laughs) Right? Yeah, I got a
1: touch with bows, don't I?
0: Yeah. No, I got my, I think it's back here. I got mine in too. I didn't, I haven't, I haven't messed with it yet. I need to start tinkering with that stuff. And I don't know. It just seems like, uh, you know, March is here and then it'll be July before you know it. And then September, it's just, it's best to start tinkering with that stuff now instead of waiting until whatever, September to do it.
1: Yeah. I was thinking you about know. giving my, uh, my last year's bow. That's only a year old away. Um, Yep. Putting a, a new rest on it because I uh, destroyed the old rest, and then maybe giving it away. We'll see. Yep,
0: I don't think it's a bad idea. What else you gonna do with it? You know,
1: you have a third boat <laughs> or you know, like running over, drop one. You, know. you still have your forge too, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That well, that I one I really want to get away, give give away because it's got. Uh, Sentimental yeah, sen- that Oh yeah. That, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the uh, serial killer bow that was built for me by by Steve, the owner of Forge. Yeah,
0: that's a one of one, probably, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it was built custom built for me.
0: Uh, people were asking last week Dan about that book you have behind your head. I don't know what it is. I couldn't couldn't tell. I'll uh, look at a life oh, deer yeah Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. Somebody sent me that. A fan sent me that. I haven't started reading it yet. I've been real busy. Um, and you caught me off guard because I didn't even realize it was back there kind of oh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I wanted to say Steve, who sent it to me, but I.
0: Oh, that's all I, right. I, I thought maybe you read it every evening or something. I didn't know what it was. Uh, I, I know.
1: Are- uh, it says uh, Steve Chapman on it, but uh, I think that that's his writing name or something probably the, name of the person who sent it to me and he said it was the book he wrote oh gotcha gotcha So yeah, i mean most people that write have a writer's name kind of thing. right
0: right so do you is your real name in fault no yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be a, that'd be uh we do some breaking news sometime here
1: in fault i mean come on <laughs>
0: That's that's how we'll uh, we'll you'll go leave the hunting industry. Your real name's like Jerry Johnson or something real <laughs> common like that,
1: right? Right. You <laughs> know, you know that is a kind of a good thing to have a, a unique name. There's a, not too many Dan Infaults in this world, and the only other no. one I know of is my son, right? You know? um, but I was named after Dan Infold, my uncle. Oh, but, really? Uh, there's not too many infolds around, so there's- that is a blessing, kind of, because um, then there's no confusion. Right. And if you have a name like Smith or something, there can be a hundred Dan yeah. Smiths and stuff, and then then you kind of blend right. into the crowd. So yeah,
0: yeah. Your if your name gets too common, you're pretty hard to look up on social media and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the same way. I don't think, uh, to our knowledge, my my aunt did like that research on, on our family. I think our family is the last talkers of the uh, that um, that name, and then I at, I'm the only boy or male uh grandson that has a talker last name mm. so i was like uh if i didn't have a, a boy i i it would end up me you know <laughs> mm. but luckily i did my part and can wash my hands of that duty and now it's huck's uh, responsibility
1: yeah um, so um when i was a kid um we used to call when somebody would bullcrap, you know, mm-hmm. saying another, another word, right? BS. Yeah. The way we would say it, uh, when we were young was there were Josh talking. No way. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, everybody <laughs> that. yeah. That was a common phrase when I was a kid.
0: <laughs> oh, so
1: that's funny. I've he never ever heard that phrase. No, Josh. I've never heard that. Yeah. That's, that was I mean, our phrase for bullcrapping. Hmm.
0: I've heard of joshing around and stuff, which is kidding around, you know? Yeah. And
1: it's kind of the same. Usage. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's hilarious. So we call it Josh talking. If somebody was just laughing at them all. So you're a Josh yeah, talker. I, yeah. You know, I think of that every time I hear your name, I kind of laugh at them. <laughs> yep. That's pretty there much what, what I'm doing. Guys on this, uh, that are watching it, maybe, maybe you can comment if they've heard that. I'm sure some yeah. of the older guys have.
0: That's essentially what uh, I do on this show. Just, BS. <laughs> <about. laughs> don't really know what i'm talking about <laughs> just keep you talking <laughs> oh that's funny um before we get into florida hunting we did put up a news story and dan sent it to me but i don't think dan actually had uh you haven't read it you just saw the pictures from it no, i was on sure. the road
1: i saw it and i took a yeah. glance at it oh wow that's a good story yeah
0: so there's this guy i don't know what state he was in i don't know if it actually said but um he was moving a ladder stand in January and essentially a pack of wild dogs or pack of dogs attacked him on the, on the property he was on. And uh, he was trying to get away from him. He, he, he fought him off with by like swinging a stick around uh, and finally got the three dogs off of him. He like shuffled to another ladder stand that was on the property. Cause this one he was taken down. It was down and you know, was, as he was climbing up, they were like clawing at his leg, back of his legs and stuff. Um, he got up on that ladder stand, waited 30 minutes for them to walk off. And he got down and was going to go back to the, his, his vehicle or his ATV, I think he was on. And they heard him getting down. They chased him back up the ladder stand again. He uh, at this time, they'd been chewing on him for like 15 minutes. Uh, they he waited another half hour. They finally left the area got down, he kind of made his way to a highway and a, a family was driving by and saw him, picked him up and took him to the, uh, hospital. And he had, uh, I think almost 300 punctures in his legs from the dogs bite, biting him and uh, tore, tore, tearing him up. Um, he had, Difference I think he had, yeah, I do. I'm going to show him to you. It's, it's pretty graphic. So if you're kind of squimish, you may want to just close your eyes and listen to us talk about it. Uh, let's see here. You can see here how bad they tore him up. You ever had any bad encounters with dogs like that, Dan?
1: Yeah, I had a, uh, an encounter. This reminded me of it eerily uh, in Iowa. I was hunting in Iowa um, a long time ago, and I had a guy I was hunting with. And uh, he dropped me off on a property and went to a different property. And he was a long ways from me and he, and it was taking him a while to get back and I had to come out and when I got out, it was dark and it was a rural road with, there was one house way up the street. And, uh, that house, um, when we went by it, I noticed it had a bunch of Rottweilers out in the yard or a couple of them, two of them. And, um, that house was a long ways from where I was hunting. And there's a bridge there going over a river. And, uh, I was to meet this guy at the, the, the bridge. And uh, I come up on that bridge and it was like pitch black. And I could hear something like walking on the bridge because it was dead silent while I was waiting. And uh, I turned my light on over there and there's the Rottweilers walking at me. And uh they kind of see me and, and come running at me, barking aggressively and coming at me. And uh, I started kicking at them and trying to get them off me. And they were obviously attacking me. They didn't get me. Um, mm-hmm. And I had, set my bow and stuff in a ditch alongside the bridge so I'm not standing there with a bunch of weapons if somebody came by. Um, and the only thing I had was uh, I had a pocket knife in my pocket, a little folding knife with a three-inch blade, and I pulled that out, and I figured if they bit me, I was going to get them in the neck. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hopefully, that would save me. Um, but I was able to keep just out of range, but you'd kick at one, and the other one would come at you from behind, then you go at that one and the other one would come at you. They'd come at you from two different directions. And it was pretty scary there. And uh, it got to the point where I was actually thinking about jumping off the bridge. Hmm. To get away from them. Um, and then uh, my friend ended up showing up, seeing the dogs, and uh, tried to run them over with his car. And then they then they took off his truck. And yeah. uh, they ran back to that house. But uh, that was it for that one. I did, uh, I did have a dog run up and bite me when I was driving to, uh, fish when I was a kid, my bicycle, but the ones in Iowa didn't get me, but it was, a, it was a really scary time. Yeah.
0: This guy mentioned in the article that the, the, the scariest part for him was when he was trying to climb that ladder and, uh, they were on his you know, legs and back and he thought if he, if he'd fall back, he said, Hey, he didn't know if he'd be able to get away from him then, you know, um, um
1: Nowadays, yep. I carry a, 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 a handgun in my pocket, so I've yeah. got a Glock, um, a Glock twenty-two in my pocket that holds seventeen rounds of forty cal. So, yeah, I'd have uh, if three dogs attacked me, I'd have three dead dogs, and I'd, I'd probably, you know, cut their heads off, put them on the table, and let them watch me eat their hearts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this guy said he probably will never go to the woods again without a sidearm. He mentioned that at the end. They did, uh i guess the animal control went out and found the dogs and euthanized them and the lady that owned them got citations for having dangerous animals in possession of dangerous animals which if they're doing that stuff like that good
1: you know there's you know, a it amazes me that people are like afraid of bears mm-hmm. carry a gun are afraid of wolves um dogs are way way more dangerous than bears or wolves because especially a pack you of them. Do not have the fear of people. Mm-hmm. That's the problem with the dogs. Um, so if they if they get aggressive, you ain't got a chance unless you got a way of defending yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I do I do a horrible. I mean, I have in Indiana, I have a concealed carry permit, but we have open carry in Indiana. I I do a horrible job of carrying on. it should do a better job, especially when I'm out in the woods. Um, I got a couple different handguns or more than a couple that I could carry. My dad carries religiously, but um, pretty much if my dad's somewhere, it's, he has a gun on him, you know. Um, his point was always like, he said, I couldn't live with myself if I had a chance to stop someone from hurting us or whoever. And I didn't, you know, because I didn't want to carry a gun around or something, so.
1: Well, you, you know, my thing is, is I'm a man. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's a, a thing that's going extinct nowadays. I think uh, the people that follow us, there's probably a lot more men in our group than yeah. there are in society. But I do think that men are going extinct. And what a man does is he protects the innocent, he protects people in danger. He doesn't walk away from danger, he faces it. And yep. uh, yeah. we have a lot more guys in societies and fellas than men. Mm-hmm. And if a dangerous thing happens in front of me, I feel like I have to do something. Yeah. And if I have to run into a, a gun battle without a gun, I'll do that. But I would much rather have a gun. Yeah. So right. I do right. have a gun on, on me at all times. Pretty much. Yep. Yep.
0: I've gone in spurts where I've done well at carrying them. And then, um, yeah, just recently I've, for some reason just haven't, then as well uh it always it always like scares me though like I like i have weird not anxiety attacks but like i'll be sitting in church they can like because you hear about churches getting shot up all the time you know and like i'll and i'm the type of guy that like i'll play stuff out in my head like what do i do if this happened or i just i don't know if it's me not paying attention when i should be or something you know but i'll like in my head like okay if someone would come through that door what would i do with huck what would i do with maddie and i i play that crap constantly in church Oddly, you know, you know,
1: even so, I mean, even if you got a gun, I mean, that doesn't solve everything. Oh, no. No. The last thing I want to do is have to use that thing. Oh yeah. I just, uh, I just recently, uh, watched a video of an off-duty police officer woman in Chicago mm-hmm. who was carrying, carrying a concealed firearm off-duty. And, uh, some guy was getting attacked and robbed in front of her building and she ran out, um, and uh uh, scared these guys away and uh she asked the guy that was getting attacked if he was okay and he turned around and tried to grab her gun away from her and steal it and they got in this fight over this gun and he was screaming i'm gonna kill you you b and uh for whatever reason i mean he was a criminal too and she ended up uh, uh, having to fight him for her own gun and ended up shooting him and killing him. And uh, even in Chicago, even the, the Nazi liberals in Chicago saw that as obvious self-defense. Yeah. But this guy who lived on the streets because his family don't care about him is now suing her for $10 million for uh, for wrongful death. Um just trying to get whatever they can, even though they didn't love this guy or care about this guy. And you can sue somebody for anything. And now now she's got to go through all this money and costs and stuff to defend herself. You know, a lot of guys that carry a gun uh, now carry an insurance policy in case they have to use it. Mm, Really? I do not have one. I did for a while, but it was just like a lot of money, you know? Yeah. I just really hope I don't ever have to use it. Right. Yeah. On a yep. dog, though, I think it's a whole different story. Yeah. Oh, and I do, I do have a friend. Um, not a friend, but my um, uh, my wife's, um, sister, Heather. Her husband um, went out in the yard with his dog, and uh, um, I don't know if it was a pit bull or I think it was. It was a pit bull. I think came running in their yard and attacked his dog and was killing it, and tried to attack in him. Mm-hmm. And he ended up pulling on his concealed carry and shooting it in the city and killing it. And, uh, that was found justified. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'd like to think that more of that stuff happens and we don't hear about it just because it's, it's all fine and dandy, you know, you shoot a dog or someone gets shot or, you know, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you only hear about the people that are going to get in trouble. You know, that's the only time you hear it on the news. So I'm hope, I hope at least in my (laughs) <laughs> in my pessim or my optimistic mind that that's how it actually works. And it's a rare case to actually get in trouble for, um, shooting a dog that's attacking your daughter, or your whatever else, you know,
1: I think it um, is. I think it is rare. Yeah. You get in trouble for, uh, doing what's right. Mm-hmm. But it is something to keep in mind that people do get sued for doing the right thing. Oh, they do get, yeah. you know, things happen.
0: Yep. Um, I know there's a guy that shot two, uh, two labs, uh, that a guy I worked with had with a high power rifle. And just because they were, they were, you know, the labs were kind of running around in his field or something and he just shot mm-hmm. them both. One of them was pregnant. You know, they had like the pups coming and stuff is big mess. Um, stuff like that. I don't, you know, if you got, a, if you got two labs that are just playing around in the field and they got collars on like, come on, you know, but yeah, if one's, we got all kinds of wild, not wild dogs. I don't know if they're wild or not. They're always, I get them on trail camera constantly. Out on some of our private, we can hunt. I don't know whose they are or anything, but they're they look just kind of like mutts. Um, never ran into them while I'm out there though. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't shoot one or anything. I just, I'm just kind of curious if it's dangerous. They're dangerous, you know.
1: Um, we had uh, a guy in Wisconsin who um, was bow hunting, and uh, a dog kept coming in and bothering him on the property he was hunting on didn't belong there and he shot the dog and uh he thought he was fine that they're not supposed to be chasing deer and that kind of stuff and uh uh the owner went out looking for his dog and found it shot and mm. she called the police and they tracked the, the shot back to this guy and he ended up in uh in prison and uh, with a felony and losing his hunting yeah. rights and all kinds of stuff yeah you can't just go around shooting people's pet dogs
0: no no yeah, if you're going to do something like that, you got to know what you're doing, you know. <laughs> um, we have uh, our neighbors two, I guess, three houses down. They have a, I think it's some kind of a pit bull mix or something. And it's uh, all of a sudden, for some reason, it's just running around all over the place. And um, I don't know, it looks seems real skittish to me. And it makes me a little bit nervous just because I don't know it. You know, and pit bulls have a reputation, whether you like it or not, they do have a reputation for, being aggressive if they feel to be, you know, and I kind of, I do kind of worry about either our little dog or Huck being out there and it coming around, you know, cause it could, one of those things could kill either Huck or our little dog in one bite, you know, um, but I don't know. What do you do about it? You know, I guess you go and talk to them about it, but, um,
1: I got a yeah. legendary story about my brother, Pete, my brother, Pete is <laughs> yeah. a legend tough oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah this is before i was born but the legend still lives on i mean you still hear yeah. about it I, or I heard about it from my my parents who are now dead too and you know my brother is still alive um but he's a lot older than me about 20 years older um but my brother pete was one tough dude and uh there was this dog that bit him when he was a kid and uh he went and got a hold of that dog and bit it back and He got a bad bite, and he bit that dog back to the point where the dog had to go to the vet.
0: <laughs> That's legendary. There you go. The in uh, tip for whenever you get bit by a dog, bite him back. Uh, anyway, anyways, that news article is linked below. It's from Field and Stream if you guys want to read it. Pretty interesting. I'm actually going to close it out so I can quit looking at these bloody legs the rest of the show.
1: Speaking of getting bit, you probably got some pretty good stories from your hunt.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no good ones in far of uh, as far as shooting any hogs, but we didn't even see a hog. We jumped one, not but, even uh, one. huh? Well, you did
1: jump one, huh? Did you just hear it?
0: Yeah, we just heard it. We think it was. It didn't sound like a deer, and it was. It looked. It was black. Um, but Clay also said that there, there's a lot of not a lot, but there's some black bears around there. So he said it could have been a black bear as well. Um, but that's, that's it. We, we, um, it it was kind of hot, like 85 degrees and, uh, mosquitoes were a little bit rough. Um, and then there was quite a few snakes. So that's, (laughs) that's not in Florida, uh, for you this time of year. Um, you'll get a kick out of this, Dan. Uh, so I was hunting with Clay Hayes. And if you guys don't know who that is, he was on this summer. He won season eight of the show alone. Um, he's a, a very hardcore hunter and a traditional bow hunter. And, uh, he met me down there to hunt hogs. Um, and I was all worried about these snakes, you know, they got cotton mouths real bad down there. And, uh, I, I have like a set of snake rubber boots that are snake, supposedly snake proof, you know, and I had them things on and, uh, the first the first evening when Clay got there, we take off into this into this like the dense swamp in Florida in, in old Florida, you know. Clay just has on a pair of Crocs. That's all he wore the whole time we were hunting through through the swamp and and then we we get to water where you know it'd be deep or something. He just kick his Crocs off and shuffle across and um that that was <laughs> that was how much he cared about them snakes around there. But kind of reminded me of you wearing your tennis shoes through the mucky swamp.
1: Yeah, it seemed normal to me. You <laughs> seemed shocked a- that he's wearing Crocs. I'm surprised he was even wearing those.
0: <laughs> well, he didn't. Sometimes he's like a barefoot kind of guy. I just felt uh, I felt pretty like a, not very manly whenever I was like, I got to wear these snake boots. And then he did tell me he goes, "You probably should wear snake boots like this." I'm not. I don't ever claim to be the smartest man in the world, you know. And I'm like, yeah. He says, especially if you're not like used to them or like. You know, he's, he's lived there his whole life. He's, since he was a little kid, you know, he's been around snakes. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty funny. It was very interesting walking around the woods with him. I mean, I've never walked around the woods with anybody that had the amount of knowledge he has on just plants and what you can use them for. Like we'd just mm-hmm. be walking through the woods and he just like grab a leaf and eat it. And I'd be like, what's that? You know, he's like, Oh, that's a, whatever leaf he said it's uh it's fine to eat and he's just like snacking as we're walking around you know and he never brought any like snacks or any uh water with him either um and we sat down after it's hot i mean it's pretty hot you know and we sat down after uh we'd walked around for a while and i had a water bottle with me and i was like you want some water he goes like no i'm fine you know i he's like i drank some at camp before i left i said okay and uh we got to walking and right after that we, we got up and started walking and he like walked over to a grapevine and he like cut it in half with a with a um like a
1: little sucked the water out. Yeah, and sucked the water out of it.
0: I was <laughs> like I was like, Clay, I got water here. You don't have to suck water out of the grapevines. It's like mm-hmm. you having alone flashbacks or something. <laughs> uh uh but yeah, it was it was cool. Like I learned a lot, just not not necessarily I mean hunting with him was was all fine and dandy but you know i know how to hunt but like just learning how um how he how much he can he could utilize the land if he needed to like he wouldn't have any problems at all living out there if he if he had to um but the hog stuff we uh we sound we saw a lot of sign that seemed like it was like maybe you know five days to a week old a lot of it um But we also, like, as soon as we got there, we started noticing a lot of dog boxes and stuff where people were hunting them with dogs. And Clay kind of mentioned, like, they can, if if people, if there's a lot of dog hunters in one area, they can really push the hogs out of the area or at least back into some of the swamps where you can't get to because it's, the muck is, you know, chest high. they are
1: pretty intelligent animals to begin with. And if you put pressure on them, they get really hard to kill.
0: Yep, yep. Um, there was, uh, I learned a lot about pigs. Clay was a, uh, he's a wildlife bi- biologist before he started his YouTube stuff. Um, and I guess in grad school, he did his master's on pigs, some project he did where he collared a pig. And this pig lived on this particular guy's private property, essentially. And they lived there because there was a old, they, they had like dammed in an old uh like catfish pond, what they call them catfish ponds down there. And, Uh, Those pigs had found that catfish pond and they were coming in there and like digging up grubs and stuff uh, every night, like clockwork. Well, this farmer or the landowner found out that those pigs were doing that and they came in there with uh, uh, shotguns and just started blasting away at night uh, on these hogs. Well, Clay's collared hog didn't get shot or didn't didn't die, at least. And uh, it disappeared after that. and They couldn't find it with the GPS, you know. And they ended up finding it, finally reconnected with it. And it was 10 miles from that farm. Um, and it had covered that 10 miles in two hours. Wow. Yeah. So that's why he we got to talk. The reason that came up in conversation was because I got to ask him, like, well, how far, like, if you spook them, how far will they go? Are they like a whitetail where they may just run, you know, a few hundred yards and stop again? Or he's like, he's like, maybe, but he's like, you know, this is my experience with it. And he told that story. Um, hmm. so his point was if, you know, if dog hunters get in there and go through the area a couple times, those pigs could be in a different County essentially. Um, uh, but what, something else that surprised me, Dan was the amount of deer I saw. I mean, I jump deer every hour in the swamps there. Um, hmm. and like, and of course me being me, every time I jump one, I'd like get on my map and uh kind of look at the area and you couldn't the the swamps in florida are just like those uh palm meadow uh big palm leaves and stuff and on a map everything looks exactly the same uh, but when you got in there you know they're always on like some type of a transition line where um you know maybe like a little thicker swamp started or something and yep. um it was like clockwork every time so i think it would be the challenge down there it would, would be like um, you can't look at a map and go like, okay, they're right here. You know, you have to actually put your boots on the ground and uh, find those, those spots.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Cause you can't physically see it on a map. Right. But mm-hmm. you can see it by eye. No. Right. Exactly.
0: It just looks like, just looks like swamp. Um, those palm meadows or whatever they call them. Those big palm leaves. Mm-hmm. It's full, full of that stuff. It's also, Super loud. I mean, those, those things are like drums when you're walking through the, walking through them. I mean, it's horribly loud. So I could see how that could be a challenge deer hunting down there. Also the deer are some of the tiniest deer I've ever seen. I mean, they're little, but, uh, I mean, probably like 40 pounds would be a, Mm -hmm. I don't know, a a doe, size of a doe, you know? Um, in fact, uh, when I first, w- we took a c- canoe to one of the spots we were hog hunting the first evening, and uh, I got out, and I saw a print that was, like, a little bit bigger than a quarter, you know, uh, it was it looked like a deer print to me, but I was like, that's little, you know, for this time of year, that's super little, and uh, I had to ask Clay, I'm like, "That is that a hog print or a deer? And he goes, no, that's a deer, he's like, they're just tiny down here, so um, mm. Anyway, Um, also, Dan, lots of cell cameras down there, so.
1: (laughs) Way back in the swamps,
0: Yeah, there was cell cameras. We saw a couple cell cameras, Hmm. so that trend is also popular down there.
1: Any alligators?
0: I saw one alligator, just a little, like, five or six footer. Did you catch them? No, didn't. Clay, uh do what <laughs> yeah too quick yeah yeah clay said that i didn't hear it but we were sleeping in, in in camp at night and he heard a big he said he heard a big uh whatever boar alligator whatever you call him, big male alligator um grunting must be mm-hmm. he said he said it sounded like a big one um so that scared liz and his wife and maddie were in camp and it's like they the kids had to stay closer to the shore or in eyesight from then on. Um, but it was pretty fun. We had a, I mean, even just camping as a family down there with them was, was, was fun. They got two boys. They're pretty good kids. They, uh, it was refresh. It was pretty refreshing. Cause they're, his boys are like 13 and 10 and they're like, where they're at that age where, you know, typically social media and all that stuff really is, pulling those kids, you know, into that where they just keep their nose into a tablet or a phone all the time. And neither one of his boys were like that, you know, they were, uh, out, out playing, or if they were, uh, if they had their nose in something, it was a book. So Mm he, we, me and him talked about that a lot, just about, um, you know, especially he's like, whenever we go on camping trips, we don't bring any type of technology at all with us. Um, and he said that, which I, this is a great idea. He said for those kids to get, to be able to get on their tablets or their, uh, well, their tablets, they don't have phones the, or the internet. They have to, uh they have to, they get like minutes. So like if they do so many push-ups, they get a minute. And so they have to do essentially exercise to earn internet time. Mm. Um That's what his, his littlest Finn was like, I gotta do x number of push-ups x number of sit-ups and x number of pull-ups and then i can have my tablet <laughs> i'm like that, hey,
1: that's seems good like the kind of guy who would like give his kids a stick for christmas
0: <laughs> i don't think it or that he's not like that but uh anyway yeah i mean it's hard even as a uh hux three you know and it's he knows you know watching shows on YouTube and stuff like it's that, Mm -hmm. if they, if you would let them, they would do that all day long, you know? Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just like those kids shows that are on YouTube. Now, those are, they, they do, those people do the same thing that me and you are trying to do with you guys that are listening. You know, we try to entertain you or or put exactly what you want to see every show, you know? And those kids, kids shows do the same thing with kids and they're freaking good at it, you know? Um, they suck, suck you in and, and, um, yeah, it's a struggle, but it was fun. Then the very last, uh, hunt we did, me mean, Clay had split up and so it's pretty cool in the swamps. So like the roads are cut through there, like say they'll, this one, they'll run east and west and on each side of the road, there's like, uh, man-made essentially, uh, drainages that go down through there and uh, on each side of the road. And Clay said it's from logging back in the day where um, when they would log those areas, they would actually, they made those channels to float them logs down to the roads. And I'm like, wow. You know? So he's like, he's like, you, you can't just cross those They're They'll be, you know, they're, they'll be over your head deep in some areas from when they were floating logs. I said, okay, you know, it's good to know, but it was interesting. Um, so, coming out that that afternoon or that last uh, morning hunt I was getting complacent I guess I was just kind of walking nonchalantly not really thinking about too much and uh, came over this little deadfall next to that one of those channels and freaking stepped right on top of a um, cotton mouth snake and that was the, that snake that's in the thumbnail is the, is the one I stepped stepped upon there um, and that thing that thing like jumped and then curled up, like swiveled up, and I like, went back like this to pose or whatever, strike. I don't know what he was going to do. I, I didn't stick around long enough to let him make a move on me. But so I, uh, yeah, it kind of made me, made my butthole pucker a little bit, honestly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Clay kind of acted like he's like, eh, you don't really want to get bit by him, but you probably won't die. Um, I I didn't really want to find out. I know they can the probably
1: part thing That's yeah, Yeah,
0: I think it. He's he said he has a friend, um, in South Florida, an older gentleman named uh, Flip. I don't know. I can't remember his last name now, but he's he's actually pretty well known outdoorsman down there. Um, but he he was down there wading, doing some bluegill fishing, wading uh, through some water. And he had a stringer or bluegill hanging from his hip and a cotton mouth came up and tried to get one of those bluegill and bit his hip. And that was 30 years ago, I guess. And he still has like nerve damage from it. Hmm. Um, but you guys have any poisonous snakes up in Wisconsin at all?
1: We got um, timber rattlers. Really? In the hills? Yeah. yeah, that's about it. I've never even seen one ever. Yeah, We've got timber rattlesnakes, and uh, um, uh, I can't remember the name of the other one. There's a protected one, a saginaw rattler or something, mm. something like that. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. But the because of the protected one, we can no longer hunt the timber ones. We used to be able to hunt for the timber ones. Mm. but um, Not me. I've never seen one. We do have uh, northern water snakes, but they're not poisonous. Yeah, They look bad. Yeah. They get pretty big, and they get aggressive, and they'll come after you. And they live out in the cattails and stuff in the water. And I, I ran across a few of those. And they can actually get really aggressive where they come after you. And if they bite you, they do have teeth, and they'll rip you open, and they've got something in their saliva that's an anticoagulant that gets into your, your flesh, and then you just keep bleeding. Um, But, uh, but they won't kill you. Yeah. Hmm.
0: We have we have uh, rattlesnakes in the hills. Supposedly, like like you said, I don't know anybody that's spent more time in there than me, and I never came across one. Uh, but they're there. I mean, people take pictures of them from time to time.
1: I got um, friends that uh, run into rattlers all the time in the hills here, mm-hmm. um, but they know where to look and they go looking for them. Like they'll go oh. Oh, I mean, rocks and stuff like that. Yeah, but, I mean, looking for deer, I don't really run across them.
0: Mm-mm. You will not find me looking for a snake anytime. Um,
1: You know, you're talking about how they, uh, you you know, you'll probably live if they bite you. Yeah. Um, They'll probably die if they bite me. Yeah, I hear you. If the venom they suck out of my leg doesn't kill them, I will. Right, right. Yeah. Um, You know, they say that uh, most of the time the first hit doesn't even inject poison. It's just to get you away.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was talking to, well, uh, Jason Sankovic called me uh, today, or I called him, he called me, and then I called him. But um, he lives down in Georgia now, and he he got to talk, he did a bunch of studying on snakes just because, you know, educating yourself on them probably a good idea if you live amongst them down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said a lot of times those uh, cottonmouths will just pose like that to scare you away. They're
1: not actually going to bite you. So well, you step on them, they might.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Gosh, man, I didn't see it until I was I stepped stepped.
1: uh
0: I, Yeah, it was.
1: Well, you yeah, boots on, right?
0: Yeah, I had boots on.
1: They got to get yeah. over your boot, but they they yeah. can.
0: Yeah, sure, sure. This was a big one. I mean,
1: I I, I would say probably your average rubber boot—they're not biting through. I wouldn't yeah. think. These but were the snake-proof ones.
0: Yeah, these were actually snake-proof ones. Supposed to be snake. Snake-proof boots um, that I had on. I bought them. I've had them for a number of years now. I bought them for hunting in Kentucky because when people, I've never seen one down there. But people say cotton mouths are pretty bad in Kentucky too, on the rivers and whatnot. Um, but I don't know. Never. I I, I saw saw we saw uh, three down there in Florida. They're really prevalent in Florida.
1: Um, oh, so you saw more than just the one, huh?
0: Yeah. Yep. Saw one walking on a road and then saw one driving. We stopped at
1: a parking spot. I have never seen a snake walk or drive. That's a first for me. Right. (laughs) I worded worded
0: that wrong. I worded that wrong. Uh, Yeah, I think they're all cotton mouths. So Finn shot him a squirrel. He shot some. They took a one one morning. He went with his dad his dad took a bow when he took a took his 22 and shot some squirrels for dinner one night uh, uh clay's little boy but um that's the only success we had hunting um anyways if you guys have questions for us we can uh we'll, we'll answer some tonight just put them in the uh in the comments i think i forgot to say that earlier and if you like what we're doing make sure you hit the like button and give us a subscribe um yeah, that's another thing I guess Jason was telling me that uh we got to talk about rattlesnakes because there are rattlesnakes around there too and he said that the rattlesnakes in the south have adapted to the hogs I guess because I guess hogs eat them and they will they are a lot of them uh that they don't rattle anymore because they gives away their location to hogs, which I thought that was sure. interesting I'm like wow because I because me and him got to talk about different types of snakes, and I said, "I said, well, I think rattlers, right? You'll you'll hear them before you see them, most of the time." He goes, "Not not down south." He said, "Maybe up where you're at, but uh, yeah." Mark uh, uh, Burl mentioned that wild hogs eat all the snakes, and I think that's that's pretty true. Um, all right. I don't know, Dan. If we go, if we want to go hunt we want to go deer hunting in Florida. I think that was a pretty good area.
1: All right, I'll keep that in mind.
0: Um, did I lose audio, everybody, or is it back up now?
1: Oh, you're
0: fine. Okay. Someone I commented that I lost audio. Might have been on your end, Global. All right. Let's see here. I got to scroll back up to the top. We do have a couple of donations. Thanks, Matt. He's going to start a petition for Dan to keep growing his hair out.
1: It's am growing pretty good right now. I haven't had a haircut in a long time. Yeah. Almost as long as since I washed it last.
0: <laughs> oh, I was going to give everybody a heads up. Um, probably next week, I'm going to do it. We're going to do a just normal episode. Um, but I have a friend, um, Scott Cronin, from... Uh, Kentucky, he's a, like a, he's a teacher. And I believe he's some type of an ag teacher at a school down there. And they are putting on a youth program in, in April where they are actually going to like bring the, the kids in and teach them about hunting and fishing, like how to climb tree stands you know, how to, uh, uh, whatever, shoot guns. They're going to do a, like a whole spule of outdoor activities with the kids. And, uh, we're going to do some, uh, some donations there where if you guys donate to the, the show that day on that show, um, we'll donate that to the Scott's program he's running. I may get Scott on just to explain it a little bit first thing on the show so people know what they're giving to. Um, but just thought I'd mention that so that if uh, anybody wants to get on next week and give some money for for that, that little program they got going on. I know it's expensive to buy ammo for the kids to shoot and um, food and everything else for them um all right richard Brewer asks, how do you hunt acorns when they're everywhere in early season down here on the in the south we don't have any
1: apple trees on public land you know, it's uh you got to hunt terrain based and and if there's acorns everywhere you, you, you know you got to hunt close to bedding and i mean it's it's hard yeah um, i like going to places see that's the thing is there isn't acorns everywhere um where i live i hear that all the time too but when the acorns are in the uh, hills and stuff i'm not hunting in the hills i'm hunting on the swamps and stuff and i do much better so i'll go down in the swamps with that don't grow acorns and you just have little islands that have acorns because there's not even, not even swamp burrow grow in water. So, um, if you hunt the oaks that are on the edge of water and get them coming to the oaks, I think you do a lot better, um, and hunt isolated bedding. Um, so there's not oaks everywhere. You can find spots where there's not, where there's still deer. Um, however, with that said, I've, um, I've seen people do fairly well in areas where they're in the hills with acorns and stuff. And still kill deer i mean i remember the um public land challenge when we went to uh minnesota i didn't even want to go up in those hills because all the acorns dropping in in the hills and everybody else was hunting the hills and i was laughing at them and i went down the swamps and couldn't find no oaks down there so i ended up driving halfway across the state now we did really well in that in that hunt Mm -hmm. however i was shocked to learn that all those guys were getting on big bucks in those hills with the acorns dropping they were still mm-hmm. moving a little bit of distance. I mean, they're still coming out of those bedrooms and, you know, moving from those bedrooms to feed and grazing along, you know. So, I mean, you can still do it. You still hunt the uh, exit trails near the bed and you can still get on them.
0: Yep. It definitely makes it harder, though. It does. Uh, it I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. There's a, a few years back. We had a bumper crop for acorns on the public land in the hills here, and I just, I just, you know, I went hunting somewhere else where it wasn't as prevalent, you know.
1: Yeah, um, it,
0: could a, it could be a pain. Yeah, not that it can't be done, but you know, if you want to be um, efficient enough, it it can it can be it can be hard. You may have to look for uh, a different area. Um, but thanks, Richard, for the the donation. Uh, there, here's a pretty interesting. Um, terrain feature we haven't talked about, I don't think. He says, How would you hunt thick bowls Um, he goes on to describe his bowl he's talking about here. But you got any, any, got any, um, tips on hunting bowls Dan? I'm
1: trying to see what kind of bowl it is. Is it a bowl in the uh, hill country? Is it a bowl? Oh, in
0: it's, it's in the on hill country, the country? because he's, he's talking about ridges on west and ridge on east. So it's a
1: wooded bowl, right? Mm-hmm. but it's thick
0: thick thick
1: yeah that's a it's a hard not to crack because your thermals are going to drop down in there either morning or evening they're going to drop down in there those deer are going to want to be down in that bowl so what i'm going to try and do is get you know over the top off to the side have a you know get a crosswind um and, and get to one certain edge or something i'm going to have a way not to have my wind go down there so um most people i think are going to want to sit right on the edge of that bowl I think you might have to sit a little further back um, to get your thermal to drop the other way or something down the the opposite side of the hill or something.
0: All right. People are noticing that you shed
1: your antler, Dan, on your hat. Yeah. uh, We noticed that when I came on, just before we (laughs) came on live. Um, I was looking at the screen. I was like, my antler's missing. Hmm. I can think of about... You know, one of about six hundred places it could be back in the farm. Maybe if I dig through the cattails far enough, either that or I could just go in my truck. I know I got a couple spare ones in there somewhere, so mm-hmm. I'll probably put a spare one on there.
0: You I probably get a knock on. You probably get a knock on the door next week. I found it.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, that's funny. People ask you know, about it's them a, a lot. You know,
1: it's spot where I, uh, I shot my uh, that big target buck. Uh, mm-hmm two Septembers ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and all those people uh, said that they'd been hunting there for years or they, they'd found that spot too and all that. But I had had to cut a hole through the buckthorn to even shoot out of that little bush. Mm-hmm. I went back there uh, the other day and went to just see if those beds were being used and stuff and if uh, people were still pounding on it. And the beds were used, but it was all small little rubs, you know, from younger mm-hmm. deer. And I followed the trail out to the tree and I went over and looked at the tree and the tree is so scarred up from bee sticks going up that tree. <laughs> really? And there's fresh cut limbs and stuff. Uh, I just thought that, that was interesting that you'd like to hear that. Uh, that's, that's one of the problems I have with, um, showing everything on uh, video, yeah. um, that people will figure out where you're hunting and you can't go back to those spots and kill more deer. And literally most people who kill a lot of big bucks a lot of them come from the same spots mm-hmm. so um some of us that kill those big bucks don't have that option of going back if we're going to put that on film on public land
0: it's one of the benefit about being here in the hill country in
1: indiana it's a little bit more differentiate the different yeah. hills you're in, in the yeah, swamp exactly. it's pretty easy to figure out where somebody's at yeah well, you can just see like whenever
0: you're filming, you can just see so much farther. Like you can just see through. You know, you can see, you may see some farmhouse that's in the background or something on accident, or you know, just things like that. You can you can pinpoint locations a little yeah. easier. I could even
1: see where uh, whoever hunted deer, um this last fall dragged a deer out because you can see uh, the cattails pushed out going on. As a matter of fact, he trespassed. He dragged it right through the neighbor's property across oh, their really? corner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But would you, uh, you know, before you get to the question, but okay. what do you think of guys that, uh, see that on video and then go hunt your spot? I would never
0: do that. I mean, I mean it's legal. My, it,
1: they can do it. They can do oh, it. It's legal. Yeah.
0: I mean, I but, don't, I don't really have the a guys problem
1: with that. You try to justify it by like, like, well, I've been hunting there before, you know, or, yeah, uh, sure. you know, I was already looking at that spot. Um, but you know, I would never want to hunt at somebody else's um, spot or hunt where some other beast hunts, because if you do, you're, um, you're going to have competition with that person, you know? Yeah. But yeah. That, um, that's what I was, was going to say. say. I just, I just move on, but it's just, it it always bothered me that people have that mentality that they would. Yeah, be
0: Yeah. Well, I kind of think maybe it's the, a little bit of the wrong mentality too. You know, like if someone's already hunting there, it's like, it's, it's, it's going to be burnt out, you know, more than likely. Um, And do you have
1: pride in the deer when you shoot it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's another, um, another good point. It, it, I mean, I think everybody that puts stuff on YouTube has mentioned it to me like that they have a, they, they've seen that happen to them. Um, Especially if you're hunting swamps and, you know, really defined areas, but it is what it is. It's the, we don't want it to happen you know we shouldn't do it
1: um right i mean i'm not i'm not complaining or anything i was just yeah uh, just uh um explaining it because i think a lot of people yeah. don't realize what goes on and and uh just get yeah people's for it.
0: yeah it i think it's think do. i mean yeah it's it is super it, it, it's annoying but it's mm-hmm.
1: it is what it is it's, I think it's kind so. of the you kind of feel like the guy who uh and and Probably most people don't film, but they can probably relate to this. Think about the guy that you've taken hunting. I think we've all had this happen. You take a guy in and you take him to one of your spots to help him out. You get him a buck. Then you find out the guy's hunting there all the time. Mm -hmm. And then you find out not only that, but he's showing people the spot. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, it's that kind of equivalent, you know? Yeah.
0: Yep. Have you ever heard uh, Johnny Eberhardt? I don't know you i know you haven't heard this before but john eberhardt has a pretty funny story about when he was a kid he had a like a guy that took him hunting a lot i think mm-hmm. his name was like leroy or something and he was like an alcoholic like not a great you know not a great uh, mentor but yeah. um he said he took him he he the guy would take him hunting in his spots you know and one day john i guess went there without him and uh when he got back out leroy was there and punched him in the head, punched him in the mouth and knocked him down and said, don't you ever come back to my, my spots without me again. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was like, you know, 16 years old. It was like the first year he had got his license where he'd go hunting on his own. You know,
1: he tells me that's not the first time he's been. Yeah. <laughs> 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 But it
0: was, it's a related – the uh, only reason that mentioned me is some people were talking about John in the comments. But um, mm. anyway, all right, now let's go to the next question here. A true hunter asked, Dan, do you ever hunt a spot where you don't know exactly where the beds are?
1: Yeah, all the time. So uh, a lot of times I'm walking a transition, I find good sign, set up on it. I'm guessing where the bedding is. A lot of times I go on a road trip or I go to someplace new. I hear about a buck and it's someplace I've never scouted. So I'll go in there and I'll try to guess where the betting is. And I'll relate it to all the stuff that I've looked at that's similar to that over the years. And I'll take an educated guess and I'll set up based on that and I'll take my best shot at it. And it's that's worked out just great for me a lot of times. Yep.
0: Yeah, I do. I do it a lot too. Like you just kind of do some assuming. Um mm-hmm. Betting bedding area in this area, or it looks like a good bedding from the map or from wherever you are standing. <laughs> yep. Um, Alright. Tyler asks, do you always give a buck the wind and try to kill him using the wind in his advantage, or do you ever just make sure your wind is blowing toward where you suspect he is bedding?
1: Well, um, I would much rather have the wind in my face. I think uh, there are scenarios, but uh, for the most part, I don't think bucks leave betting based on the wind. Uh, for the most part, I think they just get up and go to the direction they want to go. And I've killed bucks on every wind there is: wind to tail, crosswind, wind to nose. And I've had people tell me that that bucks never walk you know, um wind to tail, or they never walking across them. They always walk wind and nose. And uh I'll say to them, every buck you've ever killed uh has come in wind and nose. And they'll say, Yeah, I always set up that way, of course. <laughs> you know, and well if they always set up that way, okay. But uh I don't see that, you know, but I think a lot of people think that way. Now, what i have seen is a, t- a tendency in the mornings for them to circle downwind and come in you know to a bedding area wind to nose and scent check that bedding area before they enter it and then watch your back trail and i think a lot of that has to do more with you know predators tracking them to their bedding and they want to watch that back trail and have wind to their back mm-hmm. um so i think they come into bedding you, you, you know kind of from an obscure way and come in with the wind when they leave, they don't usually use the wind. So um, I really just worry about having the wind in my face. Now, there's a lot of scenarios like um, when we talk about just off winds, like in hill country, where they bet on the ends of points because of the wind blowing on the point. And if the food is to, is to the top and they're always going up uphill, well, they're always going into the wind then mm-hmm. because they're going in the direction uphill and you have to set up up there on the top of that point. Well, in those cases, I'm setting up with the just off wind blowing down the valley. I'm trying to get to the valley side so it sucks down the you know in the middle of the ravine or something, and you right. know being able to shoot to the top. And that's when you're playing the wind a little more. Is in those uh, those scenarios where you have maybe a uh, wind any thermal you got to play with and stuff. But uh, I I really don't think that they uh, move from bedding, You know, in specific relation to the wind.
0: There you go. All right, this is an interesting question. Brandon Lewis asked, "What do you think the United States hunting would be like without Teddy Roosevelt and their um, the Roosevelt
1: era?" Yeah. Uh, i you know, there, there's a lot of what ifs there, but I'd have to think that uh, if it wasn't him, somebody else would have come forward and did something to protect our land and and, and stuff. Um, would it be the same? Probably not. I think uh, every icon that's done something over the years is, is well in a certain way. Um, but uh, I don't, I don't know. I have no idea what it would be like with, without uh, the things he did. Yeah.
0: He definitely changed the landscape of, of the United States when it comes to public lands and, and wildlife.
1: Um, yeah, I'd like I've- to go further. I, I wish. I wish we could find a way to get people organized enough to go after the legislators to make public land always public. So yeah. once it becomes once public, always public. Um, I really wanted to um, start an organization to, to do that. I just don't have the time to, to start another business, and I'm just yeah. getting to for that crap. I wish somebody else would uh, and I would support it fully, but somebody should do that and uh, really work with legislators and stuff to get that through. I tried a little bit. I uh, emailed and uh, called legislators and stuff and they're all like, nah, we want the ability to sell public land. We want to be able to sell it if it's in a bad situation. And blah, blah, blah. I mean, you could put clauses in it. The trouble with clauses is when there's a clause, they'll find a way to use it for something totally they, they shouldn't. But like a landlock clause or something like that. Um but I see them selling properties um like crazy and then um using the money to do stuff like make trails to walk through other properties and stuff and I mean the the new biologist we have in Jefferson County Wisconsin just drives me nuts. I mean he's out <laughs> taking bedding areas at deer bed and and, and uh, leveling them and building ponds. You know, and then selling properties and saying, "Well, Nobody used that property, and everybody I know hunted there. You know, it's yeah, like, it's it's crazy, you know. And there's no surveys, there's no working with the people. Um, so uh, you know, Teddy did a lot, but there's a lot more we could do.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure we've uh, slowly fallen uh, to the wayside uh, over the years too, like everything else. Um, man, I, me and my wife were driving. We uh, we went and cut some wood yesterday and we were driving back and just the amount of uh this isn't on public land, and uh, none of it was but i mean down this one road we probably saw six different woodlots that were people were the farmers were working on shoving them in and burning them you know just like it almost like it's one of the saddest things for me like i, I don't know why it gets me so like aggravated but it's just I'm like why do we have to why do we have to push in this fence for like you know, is it really right, worth
1: it? Right I see that here all the time. You know, um, these farmers will try to get every inch of land they can yeah, to get another three corn rows up or something, you know. And yeah. they'll push down fence rows. They'll cut down all the trees to get a little more sun to the edges. And uh, that's another thing is it'd be nice to be able to, to um, do something where we could uh, set aside a certain percentage of farmland. You know, like if you're going to want to farm, the percentage um, stay, stays natural. That's the, right,
0: right. And I think there are some programs like that. Um, I know the farmer that has the um the property I hunt, you know, he had it in that CRP program, the set-aside program. But, mm. you know, then he told me this year or last year, I guess, that it's not, not worth it to him to keep it in it. So he's getting out of it and tearing it down, putting it in crops, you know.
1: And, and uh, I, I kind of agree with those programs. And the reason yeah. is is if you make a law, like you have to leave 10% of your land natural, mm-hmm. it kind of goes against the grain of what I believe in for freedom. You
0: know? Yeah, but they're but paying we, you
1: for it. Exactly. If there's a program and they're paying you and it's a choice, but it's a choice you'd want to make based on the program, I think that's a better route to go. Yeah. But um, if we never sold public land, there'd be a lot of people willing to, to chip in to buy more land. Mm-hmm. You know, last thing, you know, like, look at it like this. I mean, there's people around here who are like uh, a guy will be dying and he's got no relatives and he'll mm-hmm. donate his land to the DNR. And uh, they might just turn it around, sell it and use the money for some project the governor has. Because in Wisconsin, the governor runs the DNR and he gets the money. And what he does with it doesn't have to be property related, you know, so. I would, I would like to see that land protected. And then if it was protected, a guy could go out and chip in money to buy property or do a fundraiser to put money towards buying property. And that property would stay public. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But when you don't know it's going to stay public, why would you want to be involved in that? I mean, we, the biggest swamp we got around here is um, the Jefferson Marsh and that's like three miles across. Mm-hmm. And the guy who owned that, I th- believe it was called Muck Farms. He sold that um, for under $4 million where that property was worth way more than that, because that's all the DNR could afford to make that, to, to leave it public kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, but uh, or to make it public so that the public could enjoy it because the guy wanted to do that. Now, how do you think that guy would feel after taking that big loss? If they turn around and they start selling chunks of that.
0: Yeah. Right. I feel like he's getting screwed over.
1: Right. <laughs> Once public,
0: yep. always public. Yep. If you guys want to uh, learn more about some of the stuff, Theodore Roosevelt and uh, kind of how the North American wildlife um, in America came about, if you watch, uh, it's called Stars in the Skies on Netflix. It goes over all of it in pretty good detail. Right. I think it's something Steve Arnella put together, but it's like a hour and a half long uh, documentary about it it's pretty good um all right hey hunter is asking you dan um, he watched dave's last buck how far did that did you track that deer and did you have the antler scored
1: uh we tracked that deer um i want to say from where he shot it it went about 300 yards Maybe, maybe slightly more than that. Maybe not. Um, From where we, uh, where we saw the blood going into the woods in that video, where we noticed it was liver blood and found the blood, Mm -hmm. Um, as soon as I knew it was liver blood and backed off, it was about two hundred yards from there. And it was, uh, you know, it went up on a ridge, did a J hook, and was watching its back trail. So if we would have pushed it, it would have been. Right, not good, Been gone forever. Did you get it scored? You probably didn't, did you? Uh, no, we didn't. Um, I have to think it was pushing close to 170. Yeah, I probably didn't net it, but it might have. Um, I do have the buck in my possession now, so um, at some point they'll have it at my uh, shop whenever it gets done. Um, So, uh, Dave left me that and left me his hunting stuff. So,
0: all right, Matt asks, <clears throat> and this is probably going to be
1: uh, for you,
0: Dan. Do you worry about thermals as much when you have the snow on the ground below 32 degrees Fahrenheit weather? Does
1: it have the same effect? Uh, yeah, I don't think it does. It doesn't really heat up the ground if the ground is snow covered. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think so. You have any uh background on that in your hills? I character? mean,
0: we just don't get snow. That's that's why I was saying it was for you. I don't I don't hunt in the snow very often. Um, right. If the
1: snow is completely covering the ground, I don't think you get much for thermals. Yeah, I you wouldn't get think some. so either. You get some, but I don't think it's nothing. I, I think it's barely anything with the. uh Snow on the ground because I think it just reflects the the sun. And it and the snow is holding cold. Yeah. It's a part of the thermal effect is the ground warming up. Matt
0: asks, what's our go-to snack for long sits? (laughs) Uh yeah, I don't typically take many snacks. I'll uh... suck on a vine. (laughs) <laughs> um, I don't know I like trail mix and stuff like that that's my go to snack usually in a five hour energy I drink I
1: usually don't take any snacks with me if it's going to be a long all day thing I might take a bottle of water yeah I used to um, I used to take hard candy with me because it would keep me awake but now I've been trying to stay away from sugary things right
0: all right modern mission bow hunter asked me what's one or two reasons why you think your deer season went so well this year, especially on out of state hunts. Um, I think probably the biggest thing for me this year, especially out of state hunts is I did a really good job of, uh, getting my eyes on, on deer. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw every single deer I shot this year. I saw the day before I made a move on him and, and killed him. Mm -hmm. Um, and also I've, something else that I think I do a pretty good job at um, is I don't go into an area um, full throttle and get up in a tree. Like I, especially like in Ohio this year, after I saw that buck and it went into that clear cut, I sat there for probably an hour, an hour and a half deciphering in my head where I thought that deer would come back out and what tree I needed to be on, thought about the time of day it was and what thermals were going to do as the time time went on and, you know, picked out that perfect tree that got me in, in position. Or if you don't sit there and think things all the way through, um, you may set up in the wrong tree. You know, um, uh, I did that really well too this year. It's in Nebraska. I got, it was 90 degrees whenever I left the truck at one o'clock to go set to, to get in my stand. And I, and it, it was only like a 500 yard walk and I got into that little finger and I just sat there and like examining what was going on in there and, you know, what was the perfect tree? Made sure I didn't make any moves in there, getting sent on the ground and everything else. So those are probably the, the two things that if I had to throw you like two bones on how to be better out of state is, is those two things. Do whatever you can to get your eyes on a buck and then just slow down whenever you do get on him, you know. All right. Dan, do you got yeah. anything to add to that at all?
1: That was all real good. I'd agree with all of that.
0: Mmm what what was your biggest mistake in the woods that taught you the most valuable lesson
1: <laughs> for you it was almost getting bit by a
0: snake yeah that's no joke <laughs> uh i don't know i had to think about that it's i don't though i can't i don't know if i could put my finger on like one thing that i did that's like that hard. yeah i can i mean it's just like almost like you you make little mistakes all the time all the time you know and they and they kind of add up and to uh um you know to, to knowledge instead of more mistakes what's uh jordan Peterson says you can you can do one dumb thing you can do a dumb thing once and then after that it's uh ignorance
1: yeah so i i struggle with that one myself I mean I can tell you a million mistakes i've made but I don't know that any of them are worse than the others.
0: Yeah. Also, like, um, try not to dwell on those
1: mistakes either. You know, they're just, I don't know if they're Yeah, really if, it's, if it's hunting mistakes, if he's referring to like setups or, uh, you know, things like that, mm-hmm. I don't know if any of them are really mistakes or learning opportunities. You're probably doing things right and you're doing some things wrong all the time. And it's a matter of you're always adjusting and always learning so they're not really mm-hmm. mistakes. Um, if he's talking about uh, y- you know, um, swimming, swimming naked in alligator-fested waters at night and, and uh, with a stake taped to your back, well, that's different, that is a mistake, right? But, right? I don't know, it's hard, it's hard to really put a finger on that, yeah.
0: Um, I mean, I think we, me and you both probably make, make mistakes every time we set up, you know, it's like most of the time it doesn't work, you know, most of the time you don't kill one.
1: Um, I was actually thinking about that when you are when you were talking about your hunts in my mind, I was thinking about how, you know, you got to do everything right for that to work out.
0: Oh man. Yeah.
1: And you are we talking about thinking about everything you got to do to go up on a hill. Well, that's what I do too. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of people don't do that. Mm-hmm. If he's looking for a good mistake tip, don't rush in and just run over to that tree and jump up it. Mm -hmm. You got some time. I mean, if you think that deer ain't coming back till afternoon, you know, you went to bed or something, think about it. Look at it. What's the wind going to do? What's the thermals going to do? How can I get over there? Which way is that deer going to come? Am I going to cross this trail? Where do I got to go? How can I get in there least disturbance? What access route am I going to take to get there? Which tree am I going to go into? And then you're going to have to reevaluate that when you get halfway, because that tree ain't going to look the same when you get halfway there. Yeah, You have to reevaluate, do, okay, all that all over again. And, uh, you know, I might choose a tree five times before I get to the tree. <laughs> oh, yeah. Five, um, different tree, five different times of what I thought I was going to be in. Because as you're getting there, you're seeing things from a different point of view, a different landscape, a different angle. And and uh, you got to constantly be calculating and stuff too to hunt mobile is not easy. There's nothing simple about it. You, you, you you know, it's constantly uh, adjusting and learning and really calculating what you do.
0: Yep. Yeah. And I like, and this isn't me like bragging or anything, but like I, uh, I probably set less this year than I had in the last, you know, several years. Um, just cause in Nebraska I only set once. And then Indiana, I killed my buck on the ninth. Um, and I had like Michigan and stuff. We did those hunts, you know, but like, I, I didn't get a chance to like really pound out the hunts in Indiana. Like I usually do. Um, and, uh, I can even doing that and like slowing down, there was probably a couple of times this year where I got up in a tree and I sat there for 30 minutes. And I'm like, this isn't, this sucks. You know, this isn't right at all. And I've got, I got down and moved you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so even whenever you do sit there and think about it, you still, you still make, you still like, this is dumb. Why am I in this tree? You know?
1: You know, when, uh, I can, if I look back about 20 years ago, I can remember I used to get in trees an awful lot and say, I'm in the wrong tree. I need to move over there and think about it a little bit and think about if I have time and scramble down and reset up, you know, take everything back down, move over 20 yards and set up in a different tree. And, and that used to happen on a regular basis. And at this point now, that doesn't happen very often because I'm really taking my time about going in there and thinking about it. Mm -hmm. But that said, if I get in the wrong tree, I am getting down and I'm moving.
0: Yep. Yep. Um, Bill asked if we were going to invite anybody on a public land hunt this coming year.
1: Yeah, we're uh, struggling where we're going to go and how we're going to do it, but we are going to do it. um, Just because of the, the hunt schedule we have this year trying to decide, you know, late, early, um, how to do it, but, uh, we're going to do it.
0: Adam asks, do you notice major shifts in deer pattern and bedding right after the leaf foliage falls? Um, seems like the woods goes
1: dead to him. There is shifts in patterns constantly and things like that change constantly. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Do I need, I notice a pattern. When, when the leaves drop, um, I don't necessarily see it go dead, you know, where I see less movement because I shift to where the, where the action is. Deer are always moving. You need to go to them. It's like the guys who tell me that they never hunt until pre-rut their best spots, because if they, if they hunt them earlier, um, they'll blow them. Or you think what's your best spots? Because I've got best spots early season, I got best spots late season, you, you know, cause there's time periods when deer are in different areas. And that's what you got to figure out. If you're seeing the woods go dead, it's not going dead. Those deer are just going someplace with cover. You're probably in an area that loses its cover. All those leaves come down. Those deer don't want to walk through there in in broad daylight in the sun. Um, They'll get shot doing that, or or they'll feel naked. You know, they don't want to walk out in the open. So you got to go to where they're at. So um, they're still there. They're still active. You just got to figure out where they moved to at that time frame.
0: Yep. Um guys, I, I skipped a few questions just because some of them we answered like real recently. Um, so if you if I didn't get to you, you may just go back to the clips. And I usually I usually put clips up of, of the answers there on the show, on the on the channel. Lewis L. asks, when traveling out of state, have you guys had negative run ins with locals?
1: You just asking if we have any. Anything yeah, I mean, I've I've had people that. uh you know, give me a hard time or, uh, don't like me in areas, but uh, for everyone I have of those, I have 10 guys that, uh, want to run over and say hi. Um, so yeah, I mean, you run into, into the negatives and stuff. And, uh, I think the big thing is, uh, when you, when you, uh, park in rural parking lots that are hidden with, uh, out of state plates, sometimes you get issues. You know, um, I haven't had too many, but I've heard of people getting their tires slashed or windows smashed out and things like that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. One thing you can do is you can put a camera on your uh, vehicle, you know, um, it's a little bit of a pain in the ass, but if you put a um, camera watching it, that's hidden. At least you have evidence. If somebody does do something, you have a license plate or something. Yeah.
0: I haven't had anything real bad happen. I've, I've heard of people, uh, Getting like notes put on their vehicle, threatening them and stuff. Um, but knock on knock on wood, i never had too too many bad issues. I mean, there's definitely people that like are annoyed you're there, you know, but they're not causing trouble per se. Um, essentially, you know, you try to be friendly to someone else in the parking lot, and they don't, they, you know, they kind of just
1: ignore you or give you the. control. one the biggest things I have is I'll have people um, that will purposely. Um, Driving ATV under land borders or or something like that. Or um, go out and just start target practicing for hours while you're out there um, real close to where you're at. Um, Or take your dogs for a walk right past you. You know, things like that. That kind of annoyance. Um, Yep.
0: All right. Tommy, Tommy Wells asked, if you're going in blind on a hunt and walk into an unexpected prime buck bedding area. Do you hunt it that day or come back later in the season? If you didn't bump anything, I'd definitely hunt it that day if everything's set up right, wet it, the wind and all that.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I walked right through the beds, I, know, I think I'd, I'd probably take note and not come back, but if I walked through the beds, I heard something run off or something or I thought something was there that I probably spooked out of there. I might hunt it that day. Yeah. But I certainly yeah. wouldn't come back in a couple days or something. It would be quite a while. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I guess I, I kind of was thinking wrong after I reread the question. I guess if you, if you walk through the bedding area, I don't know. That's, that's a rough, that's a rough go about, go about it. <laughs> you usually want to find really good sign coming in and out of a bedding area, not, not hop in the bedding area. Um, that, that happens a lot though i mean I, I jumped a great big buck going back in the hills this year that I didn't expect to be there you know so
1: that's different though you jump the buck i mean if you yeah. just walk through a bedding area if there's nothing there to begin with I don't think that you know i take note of it but i don't think yeah. i would dare act on it
0: yep Daniel he must be a big guy he asked if you if you are thinking about coming out with a heavier rated
1: stand yeah, I'm, I might come up with a beefier one where um, I've got some uh, designs for it. I've got so much stuff in the works, it's hard. But I do have a design for a, a big beefy or stand. Um, but it would be pretty hard for me to put a rating over 300 pounds on it just because of the way the industry works. Yeah. Man, it's even, if not I, even if I made it where it would take a, a bigger guy, uh, 300 pounds is about the max you want to put a rating on something... And that that doesn't come from like me or anybody else. It comes from the way the, uh, your insurance works, the way business works, the way stores work that work with you and things like that. So you, I don't think you're going to see too many ratings over 300 pounds. Every now and then you'll have a company where it specifically builds stuff for big guys and they're willing to, you know, have different insurance and stuff like Mm -hmm. that.
0: Yeah. I don't know if there is there any mobile tree stands that are over three hundred pounds. I don't think there.
1: I don't think there's any tree stands that are rated over three hundred pounds, except for a couple of companies that rate, you know, that specifically right. make them for right, yeah, big yep. guys, right. So I might make a big and beefy one, but uh, it'll probably have a three hundred pound rating.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, let's do a couple more here, um, Robert. Asked me if I built a trad bow yet. I've built a whole bunch of them. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I didn't mention I was going to, I'm going to our local, local bowyer here. I, have a, I I went to his shop and I end up not bringing something I needed to bring. So we didn't get to do anything, uh, but I got what I needed now. So I'm supposed to, say he's going to get a hold of me next week and we're going to give her, give that a go again. I'm filming this one on.
1: I got a cool video of uh, my son James made a, uh, Crossbow, we gotta put that at the end of a video sometime. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, it's, that it's is funny. cool when he, was a, when he was a kid. Yeah, yeah, he pretty much uh, uh taped a bow to the end of a stick and taped a release on the stick and uh, okay, like a recurve bow. And yeah, he taped a, and he taped a release on, the, on it, and he pulled a bow back on the stick into the or two-by-four, I think it actually was, into the release, and he put an arrow on it and he'd shoot it like a crossbow. That's funny. I
0: That's got some funny. video of
1: that. It's old, but uh, it's funny. Um, Sorry. Didn't, didn't mean no, your...
0: no, you're good. You're good. Adam asked, do you guys deal with landowners using adjacent public land as their ATV use, blind stands, etc. territorial confrontational harassment? We have that horrible here in Indiana, where landowners will cut four wheeler pads in the hills from the backside or something. It's super frustrating because you walk these two miles through these hills and you get back there and someone's cut an ATV trail in there to and put a bunch of ladder stands and stuff. And um, and it may sound petty to like be bothered by that, but it's like that's like cheating almost on public land around here because everybody else has to. Go in there and follow the rules, and you know, they're essentially breaking them so that they can,
1: you know, well, if they're breaking the rules, you turn them in, right?
0: Yeah, and and that's it's kind of funny this came up because I the conservation officer around here reached out to me and wanted me to start sending him pins of those um ATV trails. I guess it must be getting to be a pretty big problem because they're they're reaching out to I don't know if they know that I. You know, hunt a lot of public land or something. Uh, they probably do know that. Mm-hmm. And they just asked me, asked me to, if I could, if I if I see anything, to let them know, if I want to. They said,
1: kind of thing. So we uh, got problems like that around here too. We've we've got um, like just one uh, area where I hunt, um, where a landowner who um, is like the head of the farmers' association in the county, so he thinks he's a big shot. Uh, owns a section of land surrounded by public land. And uh, a few years back, you know, quite a few, like 10 years back, I was hunting on the edge of his property, probably about uh, not even his property, his neighbor's property, but off the edge of it by about uh, 30 or 40 yards, hunting some deer that were coming out of his property through some swamp and stuff. And uh, he was hunting the other side of that swamp and saw me in the tree and uh knew it was me um by my truck in the parking lot or something Mm. it just went nuts on me online following all my posts and stuff saying that uh i was unethical i was hunting too close to his land border and stuff and and the same guy has um stands all along the fence line you know and uh i called him out and i said you want the land border and he says it's my property and i said well the public lands my property you know, and, uh, he did not like that. He, he had a bit, I mean, he just, it was a pain in the ass. And I finally just said, you know what? I'm going to take the high road. Cause he's a neighbor and stuff. So I said, I won't hunt over there. So I quit hunting over there. Well, then he goes off on me again because he, he finds out that I hunted an island. That's a, a quarter mile from his property. Cause apparently he owns the islands too, you know? So then I just drew the line there and said, well, you know, F you and, uh, you can do whatever you want. I'm going to hunt. Yeah. The public land. I mean, you don't own the public Jeez. land, you know? So, I mean, I've heard that story from other people too. I know, um, the barber boys had a run-in with the guy, you know, turkey hunting and, you know, everybody seems to have problems with these certain individuals around here that think that because they own a little property or something that everything around them, you don't have any right to be on.
0: Yep. Yep. All right, let's do one more, guys, and then we'll get off here. We've been down here for about an hour and a half. Do you guys have any other cool hobbies besides hunting?
1: Sometimes when I'm not hunting, I think about hunting.
0: <laughs> That's
1: about how I am, too. I like I, uh, uh, machining. I like inventing things. I like, yeah. uh, you know, mostly hunting things. But I do work as an and d guy, and I probably don't need to do that anymore, but I like doing it. Yeah, like so I show up every day for some reason and make things.
0: Yep. Um I like to tinker around in my I got a woodworking shop in my my barn. I I like to tinker around in that sometimes. Just make random things for the wife or um or for deer hunting. Yeah, for deer hunting. We used to build old wooden tree stands and I don't know. That's I kind of do that stuff. I like to make bows. I made a bunch of bows. So
1: Tell you what, uh, you get to the point where both of us are at, and pretty much our whole lives revolve around hunting. And Mm -hmm. the only time it's not is because somebody's telling you that the world doesn't revolve around hunting, man. You need people (laughs) too. The only reason we're doing something else too is because we feel guilty because we're made to feel guilty about it. Yeah. But really, uh, I I used to love fishing, and I just you know fishing is scouting time. It's this time. It's that time. I'm doing Mm -hmm. shows, doing this. So, I mean, it just, my whole life revolves around deer hunting. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my, my hobby outside of deer hunting would be bear hunt. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> That's a hobby,
0: man. Oh, yeah. I used to do all kinds of stuff when I was younger, you know, I didn't have as much responsibility and all that. I mean, we used to do, I mean, um, all kinds of different hunting, you know, whether it be coons or squirrels or rabbits and this or that and fish, but he's kind of, um, some of that stuff slowly gets uh, deleted out of your repertoire because of time and the amount of time you spend deer hunting. So Mm -hmm. anyway, all right, everybody, thanks for getting on tonight. Um, Hope everybody has a great weekend and we will see you next week.
1: See you guys. Bye.